so can we go like all the way back to the beginning and tell me where you're from and how you grew up, where you grew up? <laughs> the beginning? Yes. I was born a wealthy white child. Okay. <laughs> Is this a joke? <laughs> no, it was a joke. I was like, that's not what I heard. <laughs> Welcome to the La Jolla Local Podcast. I am Morgan King, your host, and I'm passionate about creating connection. Here on this podcast, we will dive into the stories and the lessons learned from local La Jolla business owners and citizens, as I believe that we all have our own story to tell. And what good are our experiences if we don't share them with others? My goal is to inspire you and share the lessons that others have learned while connecting us closer together as a community. Hey, you guys, welcome. Thank you so much for listening. This is Morgan King, your host of the La Jolla Local. I'm so happy as always that you're here, you're listening. Um, I love this podcast. It's amazing, but it's really just a passion project for me. And so um, I honestly don't care if people listen because I enjoy doing it so much, but I really want to get the message out there and help others. So thanks for taking time out of your day to check in and hear what we have to say. Um, Something a little bit more on the lighthearted side um, is our interview guest for today. I'm super pumped to share this with you guys. I think sometimes when you're going through growth or you're aspiring to be more um, and moving beyond the status quo, it can be challenging sometimes. And that's why I think some of my episodes can be kind of serious because I want to connect with you where you're at. And you might need a little dose of inspiration or to say, hey, you're not alone. We're all going through it at some time. Um, and no pretending or creating a facade that life doesn't have its challenges, but it still, it can be beautiful with those as well. So getting into today's interview, I had the opportunity to connect with uh, George Hauer. He's best known for being the co-founder of George's on the Cove. Um, this is one of my absolute favorite restaurants, no joke, um, in the city because it feels special no matter if you're going there for dinner or just drinks. Um, it's this three-tiered restaurant. It's right in the heart of La Jolla, right off Prospect Street. And all three floors have this amazing ocean view, but they also have their own unique ambiance and aesthetic. So their top floor, or their rooftop, if you will, is their casual alfresco ocean terrace and bar. So this is super fun. It's uh, kind of a lighter vibe. I tend to go there for lunch or for happy hours. And then the middle level is level two, their craft cocktail bar that serves the full menu from the ocean terrace. And then the bottom level is California Modern, which is their signature restaurant and offers a creative, thoughtful, and seasonally focused menu. They're all special in their own right. If you have not been there and you live in the area or you're traveling here, I highly recommend you make a reservation. You will not be disappointed. Um, beyond that, George himself has lived in La Jolla since 1978. So he's about as local as they come. And beyond co-founding this amazing restaurant that we know and love today, George is a founding board member of the La Jolla Community Foundation, whose mission is to encourage civic engagement and pride through local philanthropy. <laughs> philanthropy. He has a passion for supporting the La Jolla community overall, which he has done so in various ways over the past few decades. Uh, he shared this with me offline as to not brag. Um, and this is often through his own personal funding. And one thing I'll say about George is he is happy. He's humble. Um, 
almost to say modest. I had to kind of pull out from him like, hey, I want you to brag a little bit about yourself. You're an amazing person. Um, And he's done extraordinary things in his life, but he's also really present. Um, And I tend to see that you don't generally find that if you're an owner of a restaurant. Um, He's not fully 100% immersed in the day-to-day, but he's still very active in the business. Um, So him just showing up fully and being available for me for the interview, I totally appreciated. So setting the stage for what this looks like, um, we ended up going down to the bottom level of the restaurant, so the California Modern, and we're sitting in this corner booth. I have a lovely ocean view, and Frank Sinatra is playing at the most appropriate level, and you'll actually hear it throughout the interview. And it really created this awesome aesthetic for who he is um, while he shared his story with me. So even interviewing him was an experience. I really enjoyed it. So you listen in to hear how George got his start in the industry, the twists and turns along the way, and why for him, quitting was just not an option. Enjoy. So thank you so much for taking the time again to talk to me. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be part of it. (laughs) So I actually don't know too much about you. I did Mm -hmm. some research of my own, but I'd rather hear it from the horse's mouth, if you will. Um, so can we go like all the way back to the beginning and tell me where you're from and how you grew up, where you grew up? <laughs> the beginning? Yes. I was born a wealthy white child. Okay. Is this a joke? <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> I was like, that's not what I heard. <laughs> like, I'm going um, go with it. I'm from a little town called Orinda, California, which is in the Bay Area suburb. Okay. If you're, if you're in Berkeley, you go over the hill. And there's Arinda. Yep. Okay. So but, I lived in Knob Hill, San Francisco proper for like five years. Okay. Well, so I'm you, you know area. the area. Yeah. Yep. And I was there. I grew up there. My dad was a lawyer. And okay. my mom, mom was a homemaker. Okay. And a sister. Okay. Older and, or younger? Uh, younger. Younger sister. By a couple of years. Okay. And came down to San Diego to go to college. Okay. In 63. Okay. Uh, a long time ago. Yeah. And I've been here ever since. Okay. I began waiting tables and uh, during college. What did you go to college for? Uh, to go to college. Just to back then, the next step. Back then, people weren't saying, what are your plans for the future? They were saying, are you going to college or not? Right. And the answer was yes. And the reason was, I don't want to go to Vietnam. Mm. So I will go to college. So different. Yeah. But very, I also feel like... I mean, I just remember when I was 18 and having no clue what I was going to do, but like it was not an option. I had to go to some form of education. Mm-hmm. I didn't have Vietnam, obviously, thank goodness, completely different time. But it's like, I remember being like, how do people know when they're 18 years old what they want to do with the rest of their lives? Well, so I think there are people that do. Yeah. But I, I would say that they are a very, very tiny minority of, of the population. People. So you didn't really know. You were just like, I, had no I don't want to go to Vietnam. I'm going to go to college. All I wanted to do was was have fun yep. and meet girls yep. and drink beer. Yep. And the education in the beginning was incidental. Totally. But as you as you mature, yes, the education begins to elevate itself and the yep. other two things get in balance. Yep. So yep. I spent... Uh, Two years at state, okay, and then I uh, joined the Marine Corps. Oh, you ended reserves. up in okay, yeah, military. Then. 
in the military okay. and did that. The reserves was a six month program. So you go in and, and you do boot camp and you do ITR infantry training okay. and you do tank training yep. and then you come back uh, and then go to weekends. Oh, so you don't like have to go to war quite yet. Well, it's more like prepping you for the fact that if they need you, you have to be available. Right. Okay. That's right. I'm not and, super familiar with reserves. And there's there's a lot of history there that I won't get into okay. that we almost had to go, but we don't want to take that kind of radical turn. Okay. So anyway, graduated from college in 1968. Okay. I was the I was in a fraternity and ended up being the president of the fraternity. Oh nice. Which was and the only reason that's relevant is yeah. that it for me it made me think of myself as a leader that that before that I had not considered. So when you, I'm assuming you like, um, what is that period in which you have to join the fraternity, they call it hazing? I don't know if they do that. Russian. They call it Russian. So then you join the fraternity. How did you become the president? Was that just something that became available? You know, I was the last man standing. Got it. Okay. And so then you do (laughs) it and you're like, wow, I really enjoy this. I didn't even know that this was something I am good at leadership wise. Okay. I think that would be fair to say. Okay. Um, from then started, I waited tables my last year in school, okay. uh, with a, a local company who were still friends cool. and, and let's see, I then went to work for a bank, hated that, went to work for an investment advisory company. Okay. And did that for a couple of years and made enough money. So by the time 1970 rolled around, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. But I'd saved enough money and I went to Europe and spent a year, the year of 1970 in Europe, living on $5 a day and, and wow. being a, a hippie traveler. That's amazing. Okay. That's very different, I feel like, for the time, no? Like you basically go to college, you get a job, and you stay in that job for 30, 40 years, then you retire, and then you live your life. No, it wasn't that way then. As it a matter wasn't. of fact, okay. the, the the prior generation probably was doing that. Yep. But but our generation More was the first to say Yeah, you're like my dad's let, generation. Let's go to let's yep. go to Europe or let's go skiing and yep. and go live in the mountains. Let's go to Aspen. Did you um, go by yourself? I went by myself and met my cousin over there and then made friends along the way. Okay. And it was a year and it was a it was a, a formative experience yep. in the sense that that I got a better sense for the wide world, mm-hmm. different political systems, different food, different wine, all the different things that, that presented themselves. And at, at the time, the dollar was uh, supreme in the world. Okay. And so you could live on $5 a day uh, in most places. So this was your savings from your kind of, if you will, your financial background. Yes. And you didn't work the whole year. <clears throat> no. You just traveled, connected with people. Did you know when you went over there? So what was the first place you went to? Uh, Switzerland. Did you know once you went to Switzerland that you were planning to travel oh, to yeah. multiple places? Okay, oh, yeah. that was the objective. That You're was like, the objective. I just want to travel everywhere, experience life. But no plans. No plans. We just went to a ski resort and skied from January until middle of April okay. when the resort closed. Yep. And then we headed south to Italy and Greece and, you know, we went all over the place. That's amazing. Yeah. It For was someone a- as like scheduled and type A as me, I'm very envious of people like you because I feel like especially in my younger years, I was actually worse. I was way more type A. And I missed out on like the spontaneity 
of like my youth because I was just like, oh, if I'm going to go on this trip, I need it all scheduled out and planned. <laughs> and I have a spreadsheet, like a Google spreadsheet when I travel with my sister, it drives her crazy. Um, and I just feel like now that I'm older and if you will, slightly wiser a little bit, um, I kind of wish I would have done that because I feel like that's like the most authentic way of living. It's just like kind of going with what feels good versus like planning it all ahead of time when you don't really know what it is you're looking for. I would agree with that. Yeah. And when you're, when you're, let's see, at the time I was 24. Okay. Um, I was among the older travelers. There were, there were a lot of people that were substantially younger that were after high school and quit college. And yeah. uh, so I was a college graduate, a couple of years of, of work under my belt. Okay. And then it was, a, a, if you want to call it a voyage of discovery in a way. And it was. Yeah. Um, did you always plan to go for just a year or did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the year is up. You're like, okay, time to move back time, to California. Time to come back. Okay. And I went, went to the people that I, I waited tables with. Okay. and asked them if they would be if they would employ me okay. and they made me the assistant manager of a brand new restaurant they were opening called the hungry hunter in okay. mission valley okay that is still there is it i was just going to ask you it is still there okay so and it was a middle of the road steakhouse okay. uh, salad bar at the table prime rib steaks yeah uh, very very much a a concept of its time, um, and I'll, I'll leave the comment at that, but uh, it was a very successful restaurant. And I started in, in um, right in the beginning of 1971. Okay. And the company was growing. They had been purchased by Ralston Purina, uh, which is, um, which is an American company, it isn't anymore, but was an American company out of St. Louis. Okay. And we were the the leadership, I, would, I wouldn't say we at the time, because I wasn't part of the leadership. The leadership was tasked with growing a business. And we built, <clears throat> I don't really remember exactly what it was, mm -hmm. what the number was. I think by the time I left, we had 75 restaurants, although it might might be more than that. What? And there were. So they, did it make it like a chain? We were we were called internally Franchise. anyway. The no, okay. the the non-chain chain. Okay. And we had we had the Hungry Hunter. We had the Boar's Heads. We had Carlos Murphy's Irish Mexican Cafe. We had had a lot of different concepts. They were in on the West Coast. There were two different divisions: the okay. West Coast and the Midwest. Okay. West Coast was Phoenix, San Diego, North LA, and San Francisco. And the Midwest was all over the place. Uh, Chicago, Detroit, um, Cleveland. So anyway, it was like two, two separate operations, but conceptually very similar. Okay. Anyway, without getting into the details, yeah. um, by 1979, I was uh, promoted to be the director of operations for the company. So, so you had kind of grown from assistant manager of the like basic assistant manager, manager to supervisor to grow with the whole company. Yeah. Okay. And it was, I, th I think, the important thing within context is that the restaurant business then 
was not the restaurant business today. Mm-hmm. It attracted nobody, nobody with talent, nobody with ambition. Right. It was an accidental business that yeah. was really started by a guy named Norm Brinker, who opened a restaurant in the 60s called Steak and Ale out of Dallas, Texas. Okay. And he created really a both a lifestyle and an entertainment venue that that began the restaurant business. Interesting. And I didn't know it was that late. Like oh, yeah. in the sixties? In the in the sixties restaurants were ethnic. They were Chinese, yeah. Italian, yeah. there and, and if it was American, it was a steakhouse. Okay. Uh, salad bars and that kind of thing. And it wasn't like an experience. You like went there to eat and No, it was a, it was okay. an experience. Okay. I mean <clears throat> The, the place that, that I worked at was called the Jolly Ox, okay. and it was an old English theme, and <clears throat> we wore big blousy white shirts with red ascots and, and uh, pants uh, that kept, broke at the knee, and then okay. long socks and belt buckles, you know, Tom yeah. Jonesy kind of, yeah. pretty silly, but, yeah. and the, the, the uh, menu was on a cleaver. Oh my gosh. And the steak and lobster was the most expensive thing on the menu okay. at five ninety five. Oh my gosh. So that will give you some sense. In La Jolla, I'm like, is it five hundred and ninety five dollars? <laughs> well um, You're like, no, six things have gotten a little more expensive. Yeah, totally. So anyway. It's not nineteen seventy nine. It's 1979. I'm the director of operations. Yep. I do that for four years. Um, a friend of mine from Seattle had opened his own music business. He he had a source of finance. He talked me into opening a restaurant myself. Okay. And and he was successful. Um, in 1984, I quit the the job that I had yep. and found this location and started working on on that project. And we opened an August, August 9th, 1984. Okay. So we will be having our wow. 36th yeah. birthday uh, in August. Okay. And then, so that, that began that uh, whole venture. venture. At the same time, I'm going to back up a little bit. Okay. <clears throat> I got married in 1972. Okay. And had a child, uh, a little girl, in 1979. Uh, that marriage broke up in around 1983. Okay. Uh, and in 19, no, it was before 1983, 1981. Okay. It was probably over in 83. Uh, so I spent, when did you Almost four years being single. Mm-hmm. And then I met my current wife and fell in love and that was in september of 84 the restaurant had just opened i'm like okay this time so i've been divorced as well Mm -hmm. and i was pretty much worthless for a year of my life and it sounds so like you got divorced and then you decided to open up this restaurant which is still thriving today Mm -hmm. you got married like how i don't know like what do you attribute that too 
Are you just innately like a go-getter? Were you just like, it's time to move on? Like most people necessarily wouldn't like create good for themselves after a traumatic experience, I feel like. Well, first of all, everybody who goes through a divorce in my experience has their their difficult moments. So I remember the first couple of years being kind of frantic and and, um, exciting and and crazy, Mm -hmm. uh, but lonely. At the, at the heart down. of it, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I made the decision in the in the fall of 1984 that I wanted to be a grown up, and that it was time mm. to put aside my youthful enthusiasms for the things that I was doing, yeah. and become a good father, yeah. and become a good husband, and and become a s- successful restaurateur, and that was my my. Uh, wife was very supportive and loving and mm-hmm. she still is yeah and it's a very happy story it really we, is. we got married in September of 86 which is I was born in September 86 so, so you'll be celebrating your 34th anniversary this year <laughs> yes we will <laughs> that's amazing so so that's the beginning of George's yes and while I was in the a participant in the beginning of the restaurant industry uh, in the 60s, mm-hmm. in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. 1984 was another year where everything began to change in the country from a from a culinary point of view. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Wolfgang Puck opened up his first restaurant, Spago, in 83 or 84. Wow. I didn't- and Jeremiah Tower was was at uh, at Alice Waters restaurant in in uh, Berkeley, mm-hmm. and things were beginning to develop. Michael's was opened in Santa Monica. You may know nothing about this. I do. But, I'm huge into food. Okay. So yes. Well, uh, yeah. uh, Jonathan Waxman was was there cooking with with. Uh, with uh, Michael. In fact, if you want, to, if you're into food and you're interested in this, the history of how this all grew. Yes. There's a, a book, a great book called um, "Chefs, Drugs, and Rock and Roll." Cool. <laughs> I love that. And it, it, the book has all those things in it. it begins with a chef and <laughs> chefs and gets into what they were up to at the time. Um, but there was there was a real dedication to really quality, innovative American food, mm-hmm. not not derivative food, not derivative Italian, derivative French, creating an American cuisine. Mm-hmm. And, and we were, I didn't have the ex- experience in that. Uh, so we would go up and spend oh. three or four days in LA, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, year after year after year and see what the the pioneers were doing Mm -hmm. and then we'd copy them okay so Um, like today's market research if you will well market research but but this was the the competitive environment was very very different today you kick a bush and a restaurant owner jumps out there i mean there are so many restaurants totally. i'm a realtor back so I then totally get it. you understand that right <laughs> it's like twenty thousand. Like you, <laughs> yeah, you kick a bush and two right realtors jump out <laughs> and one yeah. owner yeah okay so uh, it was really exciting because 
this place opened and looked nothing like it did it does today. It was only two uh, operations, the, the this part and the bar on the second floor. Okay. The roof was had lots of equipment on it. Do you know the restaurant at all? Yeah. Yep. So you've been in all three yep. levels. Okay. Yep. yep. That, uh, it's important to understand. Totally. Because they're very different aesthetics. Very. And like, it's almost as if you're walking into three different restaurants. Yeah. And it is. And did you, when you bought it, was it a restaurant prior? Yeah. Okay. It was, it was called the Brat Skeller. Okay. Got it. So then you came in. Did you always have the idea when it was the two floors back in the beginning, was it two different restaurants still? Uh, yes. Oh, it always has been that way. Okay. Yeah. What was their thought on that? My thought was that, that this was more fine dining down down here, mm -hmm. and on the second floor it was more casual bur burgers and pastas and some tacos, stuff yep. like that. Yep. So um, very different than what we were trying to be here. Yep. This was um, culinarily ambitious. Uh, this, the bar, as we called it then, it's not called that now, but it was called the bar, okay. uh, was, was about relatively inexpensive, simple, easy to understand food, okay. ca very casual. Okay. And the bar was a bar. I mean, it was, we literally back in, in the eighties, uh, we'd have a doorman, uh, three or four nights a week oh, really? controlling the crowds. Oh, like IDing people. Yeah, uh, no, no, just not letting people in. Oh, because it was so, so crowded. Packed. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a zoo. And like at the time, wasn't that pretty innovative? Like where? Because I think I think now, like especially in like San Francisco or downtown area, it's like they might have the formal dining is the main restaurant, and then there's a rooftop that does like happy hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. But for the time, wasn't that pretty unique to have? one like brick and mortar if you will that had two different restaurants within it it, it is uh, i would call it the the physical possibilities are not there for most restaurants to do that right the, there have been people that have done it mm -hmm. um and i can think of a number of examples right now that are that are two levels when we finally opened up the ocean terrace in 91 that you know really we have three different very different concepts yes so you know that all evolved over time so it was 84 if you, if you think about it in stages 84 was trying to figure out what the hell we were doing right um <clears throat> and were trying you to solo as an owner no my my partner from seattle was okay was my 50 50 partner but he okay. lived in seattle and so he, he was not like he was not a restaurateur right he was just like i'll support you yeah okay got it so so, so i was alone yeah. So, how did you did you just like hire staff, people that you knew from your previous experience? Some like, of that, okay. most mostly. You just, figured it out. Just figured it out. Made lots of mistakes, and yeah. and just. You're make, I just want to touch on that because I feel like you're making it sound easy, and I can only imagine how challenging it was. And so it's like, yeah, we just you know bought this restaurant in La Jolla, and then put in three different three different style restaurants, and now look where we are. And it's been this many years. And Sometimes it it almost. Feels you like that forget way. the early days. No, I've like... never forgotten okay. the early days. <laughs> okay, got it. The uh, still there very much. Oh yeah. yeah, I I will never forget the the stress and the difficulties and the not being wondering if we had enough money in the bank to make mm -hmm. payroll mm -hmm. uh, and losing lots of money and and just getting week to week to week to week.
My my partner came down the first time to visit. We opened in August. He he came in sometime in, in mid November, and I'd gone from 175, which is about where I am today. I weighed 147 oh, pounds. My my shirts shirt and tie you know they were sticking out it you could get two fingers in there so it was for for many years 60 hours a week wow uh five days a week and i always took two days off and tried to sit stay in shape and family all that whatever. and try to pay attention to family and as you well. have a family so there's another whole other aspect that i feel like sometimes when it's like we're talking about career and such it's like it really is i mean you want it to be 50 50 but it's not always the case it's in your, not possible. In your case like there literally aren't enough hours in the week to make it that no so like did you ever come across a time where you were like i can't do this anymore or was that not an option were you just like week by week it was step by step it was not an option wow okay it was not an option now i haven't mentioned i have three children okay two from from my wife paula okay and one from my previous previous marriage okay uh, and I just spent five days with my my son Ryan uh, okay. skiing with okay. a, a kind of a, a father son boys trip. There are twelve of us that do this huh. every year, and we go powder skiing up in Colorado. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So um, my daughter lives here. My other daughter lives in Los Angeles, okay. and my son lives in in L.A. and Northern California. Okay. So you had three kids. And they're all, oh, two of them are over 40. Okay. Which is really disturbing. <laughs> You're like, how did that Really happen? disturbing. Totally. Yeah. I kind of feel that now, like, I know I'm still, I'm 33, um, but I have four older sisters. And it's just funny because we talked about when we were younger and we're like, 30? Like, that is, su and I'm the baby. And so now it's like, we're way surpassing that. And time just flies, you yes, know? It does. It's pretty crazy. Um, but then all that happens, you look back and you're like, oh, that seems like it's been a substantial amount of time. So, okay. This is fascinating to me. I feel like just in this brief time that we've connected and you're sharing the story, it's almost like you are, and I think this is a huge contributor to people who are successful, is you make a decision and it is done. There's a line in the sand and you just figure it out and move forward where you don't even look at it as being um, unique or like a skill set maybe. You're like, oh no, that's just the way it is. But not that many people are like that. And I think it's just, you're natural. You're just like, oh no, I wasn't gonna quit. It's like, you lost 30 pounds. You like couldn't potentially pay your staff. You were raising three children and you're like still pushing forward. My wife was raising three children Got it. at that point. Got it, totally. I'd see him on the weekends. In a partnership. Yeah, right? very much so. So it's like, um, it's just fascinating to like kind of hear it from that level. Cause as an entrepreneur myself, it's like you start off and I don't have a staff depending on me. Um, I have very low overhead, you know, so, but I still have challenging days. Like we joke, me and my girlfriends were entrepreneurs. It's like, it's like this in a day where you're oh, like, yeah. I'm amazing. This is the best <laughs> idea ever. And then you're like, why did I do this? Like what's going on? So it's kind of fascinating. You had that on like a larger scale, but you just like never quit. Which is perseverance. Yeah, well, there's, you what can't. would you say would be like a contributor to your success? And even beyond career, just like having a happy life. You seem like a very happy guy. Um, I, I think the flexibility and the dedication to change is really the 
the secret to the fact that we're still here. The main reason is that out there. If, I think if we'd been two blocks in, we might not be here today mm. because the ocean draws people. And and when you're when you're learning your basics of marketing, you learn something to the effect that you want to have points of difference yep. that separate you from your competitors. Yep. And, and and that the value proposition has always included the ocean. Yeah. And so um, that that really is what has kept us going. Now we have been, I think, very good at at redefining ourselves. We have been in this restaurant alone. We've been so many different things over the over the years, mm -hmm. um, and and now we're, we're at the point now. Well, I won't go there at this point. We that would be for la for later on. But you asked the question: What are the attributes that that keep us here? The point of difference. And, and not even the, the business. I was kind of speaking to you personally, like, what do you think the attributes of yourself that have allowed you to persist and find success in your life beyond just career? Like sense of pride. Yeah. It really is a sense of pride. I uh, described myself to my partner, who really does most of the work anymore. I don't. Uh, that I've been a good steward of the, the restaurant. I don't let it. I'm, I'm not here working six, 60 hours a week. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore, not even close. But when things need to be done, things need to be fixed, things people need to be hired or fired, mm -hmm. um, I'm involved in all that. I'm involved in the marketing, I'm involved in the, um, in the financial ends financial statements, um, setting the culture, yeah. setting the values. Yeah. And those are all things that have evolved over over time. Mm -hmm. um, so I, there was a point for many years that I was the, the, the irreplaceable element of the restaurant. Jack of all trades. Well, no, no, not jack of all trades. Okay. Just the, the presence that kept Mm, all of it together. Everything together, um, as as best we could. Yeah. With lots of lots of effort and lots of personal presence, mm -hmm. but it's not that way anymore. The culture sustains itself. Mm -hmm. My the the people that are running the business now do probably a much better job than we ever have. Mm. Um, Interesting. So I've gone from being really important to the business to being much less so. Um, I'd, I'd like to delude myself into believing that I still have a contribution to make here and there. I mean, it is named after it, you. It is. It <laughs> I feel is. like and, that's, yeah. yeah. They, they named the joint <laughs> the wrong way, and that was something I've had to live with. <laughs> I like it. I think it's cool. And I will say, and I'm literally not just saying this to Brown Nose you, but I'm from Wisconsin originally. So I have guests out here all the time, obviously, mm -hmm. especially right now, because it's like 20 below zero, and we always come here. And it is, it, it has one of the best views in San Diego, if I may say. But I also think that um, there are other restaurants that don't have as good of a view, but they have a good view. And it's like, that is their value proposition. But you can't nowadays, like you're saying about the restaurant industry, it's like, that can't be your only thing anymore. 
Like as someone, I consider myself a foodie. I love going out to dinner. It's my favorite thing. And I'm very into it and like notice all the little idiosyncrasies that the experience offers. And I feel like that's what people are looking for now. And so it's like you guys through and through year over year, bringing that, delivering that and being okay to adapt and change because it's an ever evolving industry. Like it's it really is. gonna, and you've got to be on top of it. Otherwise you're in the back and you stay behind. Yep. So I think that's something that you guys also do really well. Um, so now like kind of picking back up of the story. So you, um, we kind of ended where it's like you found this happy marriage with these three kids. Now you're kind of enjoying life more, if you will, or like being able to kind of do the things that maybe you weren't able to do when you were working 60 hours a week before. No, there was, a, that was about 15 years. So by okay. the time I was 55 okay. and I'm 74 now. Okay. So the last, let's, let's say from 55 on, I've been much more flexible as to what I can and can't do. Yep. Um, so. And what's that been like? Pretty damn nice. Yeah. <laughs> Was that a hard shift though? I feel like so, cause I, my background is in corporate. Um, I was in marketing for like big beauty brands and worked crazy hours and just worked was my life. And now I created a lifestyle where work is very passion of mine, passion driven, but it's not everything. And I'm able to experience other things that make me happy. But there's still, when I first started out times where I was like, like, I just, it's a very big shift. And I'm sure at the beginning, maybe you experienced this more, but was it challenging for you to kind of slow down and be like, what do I even want to do? I, I don't think slow down would be the right way of putting it. Okay. I, I would say that there are a lot of ways to direct energy and mm -hmm. effort. Mm -hmm. And and I've always been very curious about the world and I've always liked to travel. So, okay. so let's say that, that by the time the kids were, <clears throat> if we are near, call it 2000. Okay. Um, yeah, that would be about the time that that we could we could leave and take a, a couple weeks and go different places. Mm -hmm. And we began to do that. And we've been to, we've been really all over the world. Uh, Asia, Africa, South America, been to every country in South America just about now and Thailand, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Hong Kong, China. We've seen a lot. Yeah. In India, wow. Singapore. So it's like you kind of shifted in the energy, like you were saying, from business into this travel well, and not, other experiences. Not really. It, because there are 12 months in, in a year and there are 52 weeks. And let's say that we might take three weeks to be in the world, yep. in the distant world, yep. and then um, then we've been fortunate enough to be able to have second homes mm -hmm. in ski areas mm -hmm. uh, the, since 1989. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so we've had, those have changed too. All the trips to the, to the houses were with the kids okay. until they didn't want to do that anymore. And then yep. we'd have our friends come okay. and then, you know, yeah. it, Everything, evolve. everything evolves, yes. everything evolves. Yes. Um, so I think I've been good. I'm good at relaxing. Okay. I'm good at working hard mm -hmm. um, when it's required, yeah. or at least I was. I'm not very good at it now. So the last question that we kind of ask every episode is, what do you know for sure? I know for sure that 
But given my background with white, well-educated um, parents, having that as a foundation and then being able to go to college, at least in the beginning, without help uh, or with help, and then that collapsed pretty quickly, but that's a whole different story. Uh, that that it allowed me to develop myself in a world that that has been designed for guys like me, um, and so I feel like I've I've done very well with uh, with the 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 physical gifts that I have um, physically and intellectually, but also the social aspects of it that you learn growing up with your parents and your parents' friends mm -hmm. and the friends that you make and then you go to college and you're you tend to the the level of of intelligence and engagement to me incrementally has grown. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I know for sure that I'm not one of those guys that said I'm a self made man. Um, I feel like the guy who is who uh, was born on third base and feels like he had a triple because um, I had so many advantages in the in the beginning and and all the way through. Interesting. I would say um, that's awesome, and I think too it's very much your perspective in a good way. Some people can live their life and see the challenges and the not, not the opportunities, because it's all what you focus on and what you focus on, you create more of. And so I think that's really cool. And I'm sure you were given a lot of great opportunity, but it's also because you thought that. Who knows? You know, this at this point in life. I'll just say that myself. That will could. <laughs> I do want to add one part in this, yeah. and that is that, that uh, I've lived in, lived in La Jolla since 19... 68 uh, and bought my fir first house with first wife in 75 and then second wife in 86 and then another one in 97 and so I've been part of the community for a long time mm -hmm. and one of the most rewarding parts of, of uh, being here now is being involved in the, in the community and I've been involved with, I was a founding member, there were about four of us that started the La Jolla Community Foundation. Oh, okay. with, with the, the, we started with the thought that <clears throat> nobody seemed to pay attention to La Jolla as if it was its own city. Mm -hmm. And people didn't seem to be noticing that things were falling apart a little bit mm. and, and the shops were getting less and less full. And we we began trying to figure out what the hell we could do right. we finally came up and a guy named matt brower really came up with the idea of of uh doing the murals of la jolla and you i don't know if you know what that is do do you well all over town i, I think there them. are there are 15 or 16 yeah. of them yeah look at murals of la jolla i didn't know it was like a thing though oh it's a thing it yeah, is they it, they switch them up and everything i think yeah yeah, well, it's and that one right there, yep. um, my my landlord paid for, um, and they're not inexpensive. Some of them are fifteen, twenty thousand. Some oh, yeah. are fifty, sixty, it's seven. Like that one be hard to. That one is like sixty-five thousand. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but that was the first step in 
and saying we want to do something for the community to to make it a, a better place to live and then the history of that has been we, we've tried lots of things that was that was the first the uh, then we did we formed uh, a, a mad maintenance assessment district mm -hmm. and that was that was the the board of and the contributors to the La Jolla Community Foundation financed it. It cost a couple of hundred thousand dollars to do it. Okay. We now have it and and the we we raise about a half a million dollars a year to improve paint trash cans, uh, scrub sidewalks, do basic maintenance stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the beauty of a mad is that you can let's say you had five million dollars and you wanted to to do something for the community in terms of streetscapes and plants and trees and uh, so if you read the la jolla light for last week there is a that that is the latest iteration of what uh, we are attempting to... Oh, with the to, road off Prospect? Yeah. The, Amazing. The dip and, yeah. the, and the streetscape and all Huge. the... Huge. And making well, it like Bird Rock-esque? Yeah. Well, that's doing. that's yeah. us. That's that, amazing. When I say us, I mean yeah. that's that's the La Jolla Community Foundation and Enhanced La Jolla. Uh, they're, they're two organizations that are self-supporting. But anyway, I've always been... I've always been, I've always loved this place, mm -hmm. this this town, mm -hmm. and love the lifestyle and the diversity and uh, as it is, and the the ocean and the casual lifestyle, the sophistication and the influence of UCSD, mm -hmm. uh, and the town has changed a lot. It used to be La Jolla used to be from a business point of view, the 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 quintessential San Diego mm. um, and and in the 80s and the most of the 90s when you came to San Diego you came to La Jolla oh. period um, downtown I, I don't I don't remember when when uh, the gas lamp started I think it was around 2000 oh that late yeah oh yeah sure interesting so so everything that's happened since then with with the every neighborhood taking on its own character mm -hmm. has been has been in the last 20 years yeah um so la jolla has not only lost some of its luster it is not a it's not the destination that it was back in the day and so my message to to people is that that you have to care for your community and invest Otherwise, they atrophy. Right. And like no one else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to do you it. You just kind of, it's funny because it's like you just assume those things are handled and taken care of. Um, I attended a few of the Rotary meetings in La Jolla and it's like they do initiatives and things like that. And I feel like Merchants Association and people are always trying to do things, but nothing like to this scale. Um, and then to your point about the change, it's like, I mean, I talk to people all the time of open houses mm -hmm. and whatever and they're like oh i've lived here for 60 years at this house and it's like especially in bird rock they're just like it's a completely different place you know and obviously 60 is. years is a long time but i feel like even in the last 20 to your point um it's changed a lot it is yeah and and if you apply get the right people to work through the obstacles and that and that bird rock project mm -hmm. was really controversial mm -hmm. and people were you know the pitchforks were out and people were pissed yeah, uh, yeah. and look at it now they right. were absolutely wrong 
La Hoyans are very opinionated in not a bad way. Yes, they are. They have beliefs and they fight for them, <laughs> which I, I mean, they're prideful of where they live in their homes and things like that. And it's like, yes, I might disagree with some of their opinions sometimes, but at least they're not lukewarm water. No. And I will refrain from expanding <laughs> on that. Okay. <laughs> You're like, and now we're done. So I'm done asking you questions now. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. You're Appreciate very welcome. It. Yeah. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, then head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of this podcast. We sincerely appreciate your feedback. Stay tuned for another episode of the La Jolla Local Podcast. And thank you for listening.